do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 348. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because it will help you to feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about trophies, participation trophies for our children, yes. and a very specific... Uh, head coach from the University of Louisville women's basketball team. There is a Facebook video that I saw, and it just got me thinking. Okay. So I'm going to talk about that. I do want to really briefly talk about Chris Heron, who's the man who spoke at York High School. Yes, NBA. Um, and sports. then uh, fake news. What about my thing? Your thing too. Can't wait. It's going to be great. So we're going to talk about all four of those things? Most of my things are real fast. Oh, okay, cool. Let me do the fake news thing quick. Okay. Um I am somebody, if you listen to the show, I, I'm, I look at current events in brief, but because of certain things that have happened in this country over the last month or so, I have become recommitted to following current events. Okay. And I have uh, had some discussions with friends who have a different idea who I disagree with, and I'm proud to say that I have conversations with them now because before we just had, he voted for this guy, I voted for that guy, and we wouldn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about it. So they asked me where I get my news from, and I told them a variety of resources, and they um, said, well, Todd, you got to go to different places for your news. Okay. So I, you and I, Kathy, have been uh, investing quite a bit of discussions in, okay, where do you get unfiltered, unbiased news? And I feel like that's a question that should so easily be answered, and it's not. I've asked very smart people where you go, and th there's a lot of people that don't really know, including me. So lately, I did a Google search, and I said, unfiltered, unbiased, most central news information. And the three that came up are Wall Street Journal, uh, BBC, and The Economist. And uh, so I have subscribed to Wall Street Journal. So I listen to NPR Planet Money, which is a podcast I listen to. And this is a resource to our listeners. If you are interested, because on Facebook or on other social networking sites, there are websites whose pure purpose is to make news up out of thin air, to sell advertising on it, mm -hmm. and to get people to subscribe to an ideology that is completely untrue from both sides, the left and the right. Mm -hmm. And NPR is such a, Planet Money is such a good uh, podcast that I love. And they tracked the the source of one of these um, fake news stories. And they finally got the guy, you know, it's not hard because they tracked it to like a P.O. box, but there was a second address and they knocked on the guy's door, said, did you write this? And he got scared. So he said, no, I didn't write it. But then he called back a, 20 minutes later and they interviewed the guy. He's like, I'll, I'll talk to you guys. And he's basically like, they're like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, well, I, I make up news. <laughs> and he does this and he believes in it. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Or he may not believe in it, but he does it because it's his business. It's a vehicle for money and mm -hmm. things like that. So anyways, um, I will put this link on our show notes for this Planet Money podcast because it was something that was very interesting to me. And um, I just invite our listeners, whether or not you're independent, Republican, Democrat, doesn't really matter about political affiliations. I think one of the things that I want to use this podcast for is a platform of good information. And one thing that I have learned over the last few months is I need to do a better steward of... You need to do a better steward, you just said. I need to be a steward. You need to steward. Um, the idea of where good information comes from because before I wasn't paying that much attention. And, you know, good information is, you know, it, it's – none of us are going to do this perfectly, yeah. meaning that there are stories – there's human element in here where someone may write a story about something and then find information out later and then, you know, incorporate that or say, oh, we didn't know that, now we do. Like our expectation of human beings – is sometimes so low in ourselves and so high for other people. I'm not making up excuses for people who do fake news stories. That's a totally different thing. But we have to be willing to evolve. Well, and Facebook and Google and Twitter are trying to figure out who these fake news people are right. and to ostracize them from having a platform. But the quickest, not the quickest, the best way to do it is for us simply not to click on that link. Right. Because when they realize there's no business to be had, then they will stop doing it. Right. And then the other thing I want to say is, I'm, as you know, my... 
uh, nickname from my friends is Thrifty McSaves a lot. Mm -hmm. And I have, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal. Um, and some people might be saying, oh, Ty, Wall Street Journal is not the is is unbiased or unfiltered as you think it may be because it's owned by Rupert Murdoch, right? Mm -hmm. And all I'm saying is, for now, that's that's what I'm choosing to go with, and it sure seems to be better than the news sources I was getting before. The question always is, can somebody own something and not? Put their opinion in it, and I think and I don't. You know, we and I don't think know. yes. I think there's a market where there, there's people nowadays that want authentic authenticity, and truth, truth. I just want truth, and facts. then I want to make my own opinion up based upon those facts. So I said thrifty makes saves a lot. So I've you know I'm now paying thirty bucks a month to get the Wall Street Journal delivered to my phone. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot. If you multiply that by 12, month, 12 months, it's 360 bucks a year. It adds up. But the only way that quality news reporting is going to happen is if we pay for it. Is if we're willing. So mm -hmm. I am stepping out of my cheap comfort zone mm -hmm. and maybe I'll cancel it in two months. I don't know. And I find a better source. But mm -hmm. for now, that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. that's yeah. It. Like we want information, yet all of us are like, but give it unwilling, to me for free. Yeah, unwilling to pay for it. And we have to – I kind of feel like because there's this space, because now there's this space for a lot of journalistic integrity because what you said is very true. We're so – and when I say we're so divided, I'm not just talking about people. I'm talking about news. You know, we've kind of reached this – I see everything like a pendulum, you mm -hmm. know. Maybe before we went where we never even questioned news at all and then now the pendulum has swung so far where everyone's like, well, no news mm -hmm. is real. Now there's this opening for – for a lot of journalistic integrity and who are the people that are going to step up and and some of us would say well there's no money for it well there's always a way yeah there's always a way we just have to look and I'm actually wanted to talk a little bit about that today a new kind of hope you know a more radical hope and not hope like please 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 and I'm just going to sit in my house and and hope for it but like action we mm -hmm. can take you know radical hope can can we can have action oriented items to create a new reality so what I want to do is, one is to our listeners, because we have a lot of really smart listeners. Actually, they're all smart because they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if I'm missing something, if they're saying, no, Todd, you got to look at this website or that, I, I would, I would, I'm soliciting feedback mm -hmm. from people out there. And I think you get the gist of what I'm saying by listening to the first seven minutes of this podcast. Yeah. Something that gives facts. Facts. That, I want facts. That we can then take the facts and make an opinion. And it doesn't mean we're all going to have the same opinion. It's can we come from the same source? Mm -hmm. And again, I think a lot of people who are cynical will say it's impossible. You, you know, there's no such thing. But we've nothing's impossible well and there's even like there's factcheck.org and snopes and all these other things and they're like oh they're owned by this or that and <laughs> you know where do i go where do you go where do i go? <laughs> right send me somewhere i, I want to go somewhere i know send me to that place well and the cynicism comes from us you know like we meaning that we we say society and we say society and we say news organizations and we like blame other people but what can we ask for it can mm -hmm. we demand it yeah. can we you know like todd always brings up every time we have this conversation about how grocery stores didn't used to sell organic food and then we got to a point where people were demanding organic food and they said i'm not going to buy this anymore and I am going to travel 20 minutes further to a store that will give me organic food and then the stores that were more you know common around the corner said oh we better sell this until we demand that this is something we need and we'll pay for nothing it's it's not going to change as quickly correct so um can we talk about your two ideas regarding promoting the conference Sure. Okay. So we got this conference February uh, 23rd and 24th, and um, it's called the Zen Let's Get Real Conference. And we have Rob Bell, and we have Rosalind Wiseman, and we have Ali Smith. And really, the, the gist of this conference is love, dignity, empathy, compassion, and mindfulness. That's what Todd and I, that's our intention, because that's what these speakers um, that's their expertise. That's why we invited them and we just know how powerful they are. Um, with that said, we were thinking about this is a message and this is information that's obviously important for parents and adults, but there are teenagers who could really gain a lot of insight, maybe maybe shift the way they view something or get a broader perspective based on listening to these people talk because you may talk to your kids about empathy and mindfulness and compassion, but it's coming from mom and dad and they're like, you wah, know, wah, 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 wah. it's like Charlie Brown, right? Um, and so 
why not instead bring your teen to this conference and or preteen, we're saying 12 and up, because I will say this conference is geared toward adults. We're not making this a conference for kids. But your twelve, but the content is completely appropriate for kids twelve and up, and I think it could really like our kids went last year, and we still talk about it, mm-hmm. and they were able to hear from people other than their parents about things that are most important in life. Like if you're trying to find a doorway to create these conversations, why not invite your your teen or preteen to come with you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we decided for December is we created an opportunity that's pretty amazing. Um, A ticket right now is $300, and that's for Friday night and Saturday night. If you can bring your child, um, again, your preteen or your teen, it will be $350 flat. Meaning you will now, save. Now, the kid come for Friday and Saturday? No, just Saturday. I would say Friday night. That's when Todd and I are talking. And Friday night, it's not that we're going to be It's super adult. It's just I think your kids will get more out of Saturday. Yeah. I mean, if you were like, no, no, I want to bring them Friday, I, that's fine. Yeah. But Saturday is really what I'm focused on. Now, your ticket will be okay for Friday and Saturday. So you're in. But if you you can get to this conference for $300 for you and then just it you add $50 to it and 350 for two tickets. Yeah, and the second ticket is dedicated towards 12 to 19. To yeah, for teens and yeah. for um so or like if you have a college kid, like if they're 20, that's okay. The the intention is not so much about the age specific, it's about you trying to create this connection with your kid and um and open up this conversation and I also said on Facebook today, if you have a teen who's interested in um social work, sociology, teaching, nursing, business, um law, they will love this conference. Yeah. Like they will get something out of it, not just for themselves personally, but how they want to be any kind of human relations. Right. Um, so my point is, is if you go to Zen Gets Real right now and you you hit, you know, registration, there is actually something that says parent and teen. Mm-hmm. And it's $350 and that's two tickets for you and your kid for this conference. Yeah. So um that's our big December deal. And we're gonna really talk about this because Todd and I, our message, you know, we talk about a lot about how I focus on women and Todd focuses on men, but this is not age specific stuff. This is, we talk to kids, we talk to teens, we talk to grandparents, like this is universal language. And so we want to get as many people who are interested in this message as possible to this conference. And I think it helps to have lots of generations. So if you don't have a kid, but you want to come to the conference, we do have a specific um, happy holidays coupon oh, yeah. discount, which is 25 bucks off, which right. will help. And the coupon the, code is DEC. As in December, mm-hmm. DEC, it'll get you 25 bucks off and that will expire December 31st Correct. or Christmas or something like that. Correct. So now is the time to get in on that. So... Uh, do we? What about my quick Chris Heron story, or do we want to jump into York? No, go ahead with Chris Heron. Chris Heron is a man who spoke at York High School, and he's a former NBA player who was a dick, who became a junkie in his words. That's his words, yes. And um, it's powerful. And I, Kathy, was there with our daughters. I watched it on YouTube, and it was really powerful. But the two. The one thing that Kathy told me that happened at the Q&A after, I mean, his story is extremely powerful, and then he finished. And and just because people may not know who he is, I'm not going to tell you his whole story. It takes an hour. But basically, he had all this talent. He um, had all this ability to play basketball, but the pressure and his lack of connection at home, mm-hmm. his father was an alcoholic, there were some things going on, contributed to him using drugs. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things where he even would say himself, like there were so many things that contributed to it, but he didn't feel as supported and he did feel a tremendous amount of pressure. And he was addicted to drugs for the, his whole experience through yeah. the NBA. Yeah. And man, is it a story. It's a, and they did a 30 for 30 on it, as a matter of fact, did on they? ESPN. That's right, that's right. So really powerful story. But outside of his heroin story, mm-hmm. um, there was a Q&A session. I don't remember what the question was that brought this up because mm-hmm. I wasn't in the room, but you told me this afterwards. Um, I, I can't remember what the question was either, but I think it was more about like the family situation. Like what was your experience with your father or what was the experience? You know what it was, Todd? Hmm. This is what they said to him because one of the stories he told us, he wasn't doing drugs at all. And his first semester of college, 
he he was drinking in high school. Yeah. So he was already, you know, kind of masking his own feelings and dealing with his anxiety through alcohol. But in um, in college, he walked into a dorm room and there were two people um, using cocaine. And the he was specific about this. He said there was a girl who said, just try it. And he decided to walk out of the room. And for some reason, he turned around and came back in and did a line of cocaine. And the person's question is, why did you turn around and go back into that room? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he started talking about um, parents and, mm-hmm. and... And feeling unsupported. And so the one thing that I wanted to get to, what he said was, and he's great because he's very direct. Uh-huh. And he's like, you parents, <laughs> you show up in two moments of your children's lives more mm-hmm. than any other moments. And those two moments are report card time mm-hmm. and sporting events time. And mm-hmm. I think what he said, and this is maybe an exaggeration, he's like, first of all, your kids don't even want you at the sporting events because a lot of you scream and yell at them for doing something he wrong. He actually said specifically, you know, you show up for sporting against, uh, events, you show up for the games, and your kids don't really want you there. Right. And again, he's being kind of funny and right. kind of harsh, but he's talking about the parents who get so invested in their kids' sports that their kids feel pressure and they don't even feel like it's something they can enjoy. But I thought that, that so he's like, you guys show up at report cards time, which we all, well, which many of us do. And sporting events, because it's a safe, easy way of knowing that I know what's best for my kid and supporting my kid. But you don't parent on Friday and Saturday nights. And he's like, that's when they need you the most. That's when they need you the most. And then he said, which I was like, whoa, because, you know, just made me think. He said, he said, what, he said, parents, what makes you think it's a good idea to let your kids drink in your basement? What makes you think, who has told you that that will somehow, you know, because the story the parents will say is, I just want them to be safe and Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I'd rather have them drink in my house. He's like, why are you contributing to their ability to numb out? Why are you making that normal? And then he said, on my basketball team in high school, he's like, I don't know how many kids are on a basketball team, but it, it sounds like his team was pretty amazing. He said, we used to drink all the time in the basements. And there were seven of us that were like stars on the basketball team. And all seven of us became heroin addicts. I mean, what a statistic. Mm-hmm. Like, And he said, a lot of that was because nobody told us no, because we were set up early to think this was normal and this was okay. And And here's the thing. It's not about then becoming the authoritarian parent and never letting your child go anywhere. Don't take this too far because you know that on this show we talk about being rational and having conversations and communication. We're not trying to scare you. That's the last thing. It's about are you home on Friday night? Yes. Are you home on Friday night? Are you partying it up with friends every Friday and Saturday? Kathy and I love to have glasses of wine. So this is We have our friends over. We have our friends over. But is there a balance there? And there's a lot of parents out there that act like children. I'm not saying anybody on this podcast would ever do that, but there are, we all know parents that and do that. And you and I have acted like children before we have, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Once again, we have plenty of, you know. The reason we know it is because we've been there. <laughs> yes, we've been there. Um, but uh, to your point, on Friday and Saturday night, are you, you know, depending on your kids, how, if they're you know, if they're 13, that's one set of rules. If they're 17, it's a de- totally. de- But if you're, you know, either out with friends while your kids are supposed to be at home, what message does that send? Or are you already asleep in bed when your kid gets home? The question is, it's not just about the logistics and where are you, because yeah. there's no perfect way. It's about, are you available? Mm-hmm. Do they know they they can communicate with you? And that starts way before Friday night. It, the Friday night is almost a metaphor for, are you available? And, and the report cards are so easy easy as parents to like, this is my role as a parent. Because societally, yes. that's what's given most praise is if your child has good grades, then you must have a good kid. Yeah. And while good grades are great, like it's not that that isn't a good thing. It's that if that's the only time you show up, yeah. if your focus is all on your kid getting the best grades and your kid being highly competitive in their sport, if that is your sole focus, and again, we're using Chris Heron's language, you're missing it mm-hmm. because their social lives, the experience that they're having in high school or middle school, or the experience they're having through social networking or, you know, when they go out at night, that's where their life is. Right. That's where their life is happening. We're kind of looking at the outside. We're like, okay, but how do they look to the outside world? What's going on inside of them? So again, I want to like backtrack about what Todd said. It's not just about you can't go out with your friends and you have to be home every Friday. Don't take this too literally. It's about 
are you connected to how they are adapting socially? And not are they popular? It's how do they feel about their lives? How was their night difficult? Was it fun? Why? Who who do you enjoy spending time with? Who treats you well? You know, it's it's having those kind of interactions rather than okay, you got an A on the test. Okay, let's not talk again until your test next week. You and I laughed because I said a line from the movie Say Anything right. with John Cusack because there's a scene in that movie that they're, it's it's a high school setting and the kids are drinking and the one girl says to the other well, girl... Well, Lloyd Dobler takes Diane Court to a party that Diane has never been to because yeah. Diane did not socialize. All she did was study. All she did was study and she's talking to... Uh, another girl at the party saying that she needs to call her dad and tell right. her dad where she is. And this girl says, she says, um, well, I just walk into the house crying. That way I know that he won't try to talk to me. And that way she'll get away with whatever she had been doing that night. If she because, was late or so, drinking. So it's so interesting because I believe that that is what girls and boys probably do. Like well, some bo- girls and boys probably do as a vehicle to, and the, and I can just picture a dad like, oh my God, my daughter's crying. I have no idea what to do. So I'm not going to do anything. And she gets a pass. And this is the thing. This is because I, I know I can feel it already in my gut. People are going to listen to this and say, oh, we shouldn't trust our kids and we should like be standing at the door. This is not right. about that. Right. This is about communication and, and, and being compassionate for where they are and being an available resource rather because if you're going to go authoritarian, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And that's not what we're saying. They're going to find a way to get around you. They are going to figure if they can't talk to you, if you don't understand their experience, they will figure out a way to not incorporate you. Mm-hmm. You will be out of. So it's about being thoughtful about what your child is experiencing. You don't have to carry it for them. You know, and again, everything, for, as I always say, it's all visual for me. Are you a presence that they can lean into? And if they're struggling, they know they can come to you and you're not going to go into full-blown lecture and fear and and shame, but you're actually going to say, how can I support you? Yeah. Or if it's not so literal as how can I support you, do they know that you understand? Because all these things that we're talking about with high schoolers, I feel like I was in high school yesterday. Mm. Like my parents... You know, I was going to parties. I was doing those things. I was going out. I was lying about things. So for those of us who are like, I can't believe my kid did this, don't get amnesia about your experience. And what was helpful is when I knew that I was understood or someone would say, well, that's typical or, oh, you don't have to do this. You can do this instead. That's when I, because I got in a lot of trouble yeah. in middle school and high school. Most of us did. Yeah. And 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 now in hindsight, I can look back and be like, this would have helped. You yeah. Know? Like we, amnesia is the word that keeps coming to me. Like we're so surprised when our kid makes a bad judgment or makes an error in judgment. Right. That's what we did <laughs> That's what we a did. lot of the times. So don't be surprised. And that doesn't mean be happy, but certainly don't be surprised and and w- however you choose to deal with it, deal with a sense of compassion and empathy because that's probably what we needed that we didn't get. I was grounded. I got in trouble one night because I was drinking in high school mm-hmm. and I got brought into the police station and it was October and my dad told me I was grounded till my birthday, which is in May. And Todd's dad is a police officer, by the way. Right. So... Is that really the best way to handle it? Okay, the way we're going to deal with this, Todd, is you're grounded until your birthday, <laughs> which was seven months. And I didn't really, it, it was a. Well, the question is, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, can, they can't look at you anymore, that you've disappointed them, that you're no longer the golden boy, that yeah. you've completely shamed the family. Like, where's the. And this is, I'm going to go back to Chris Heron. It, he, his point to parents is we need to ask. Because he has he has children, he has three children, and people always say to him, "What are you going to do when or if your kids try drugs or drink?" And he said, instead of shaming them or putting them in a corner and saying, "I'm disappointed," I'm going to say, "Why? Mm-hmm. Not why? Like, how can you do this to me? But what is alcohol doing for you yeah. that you what can't need do? Is it, what need is being met? What need is being met?" And and he said, and then a lot of parents will say, "Well, all their friends are doing it he, to get along. You know, they have to drink too." And he said. My kids have been friends with a lot of the same people, 
And I want to ask them, why last year could you be in that basement with those kids and talk to them and have a good time? But this year you feel like you must be drunk to do it. I have a... Go ahead. Well, I I just want to finish by saying, and I know you guys, again, I'm not getting amnesia about my teenage years. I know that's hard. But that conversation, I don't remember having that conversation with anybody. And that may have been interesting. I'm not saying that, okay, then I would have never had another drink. I, I don't... I think we just need to be creative. Well, we have a family friend who has a son. I'm not going to name his name because I don't have permission, but he doesn't drink. He's into his body, he's into his health and everything else. Most of his friends drink. And the reason my friend knows this is because he has an open conversation with his son about this. And his friends actually admire the fact that this young man doesn't drink. Now they go ahead and drink anyways, but he doesn't. And it's actually something that they think is cool about him. Mm -hmm. So for us to think like the only way to fit in is to drink, that's simply not true. Well, don't we all want to stand out? Yeah. (laughs) You know, like don't... This young man stands out. Actually, I had a girlfriend in high school who never drank and she would go to the parties and she wouldn't drink and everybody loved her and nobody gave... I mean, I'm sure she got a hard time sometimes, but it never felt like anyone needed to convince her of anything. She knows who she is. She does. This young man knows who he is. Right. Most of us others are still figuring out like if I drink some beer or do some drugs, then I'll figure it out. Yeah. Or I will escape the pain I'm having. And that's the, that's what I mean about compassion is when we talk about compassion, it doesn't mean you let them off the hook and you say, well, I love you, so go back to the party. It means that you try and see it or understand it from their perspective. Why are they drinking? Why did they feel that they couldn't be themselves in that situation? What are they running from, hiding from, feeling, because we can all say that's what we're doing. Why do we come home and have a glass of wine? Because you feel overwhelmed and the day is stressful. Mm -hmm. So we just do that. And I know that's become normalized and I've done it too. But what if we really looked at why is my day so stressful? Yeah. Why am I having to- instead of the Instead of the solution. But we like to normalize the solution because we don't want to look at the source. Yeah. And so these are- you know, we talked with uh, Mike last week from Date Safe Project. Uh, such a good show, by the way. One of my way. favorite interviews. If you guys haven't listened to it, I think it's uh, zenparentradio.com slash 347, I think. And he wrote a book called Can I Kiss You? And if you haven't listened to it, stop listening to this podcast right now and listen to that one. It was one of my all-time faves. So what Mike talks about is that we really want our kids to have this like great self-awareness. And like you just said, this kid knows who he is. He doesn't completely. Mm -hmm. He's just learning about who he is. I'm sure he's going to have times. He may drink in a few years, Todd. It's not like like, the kid is 16 and he's never going to do these things. Right. The point that Mike was trying to bring up in the interview is we I am 45 and I'm still figuring myself out yeah. and I am still practicing self-awareness and becoming cognizant of why and how I do things. So for us to think that our kid at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 should have this like incredible self-awareness and never make a bad choice, we're not even being that's not even fair. Mm-hmm. Like they they're trying to figure it out and we hope and we give them all that we can to help them make great choices and safe choices and thoughtful choices. But we have to keep those conversations open because at 17, you're not going to know everything about who you are. Right. Because at 45, I don't. Right. So if you know that, because but what a lot of parents think is they have all the answers and that if a kid just does it like me, they'll be okay. And if I had them in my office, I would say, are you really okay? Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so um, our partner this week is a company called Seedlings.com. We talked about them about last week, and it helps you create nourishing play experiences that feed a child's curious spirit. So what is Seedlings? It's a website that has a portfolio of products ranging from activity kits to apps that give parents and kids the tools to explore their imagination throughout all stages of childhood. Let me say this in my words. Seedlings is this great website where you can get toys and activities for kids where they completely participate in the toy. So it, you know, you might find, I, I bought a bunch of stuff from there a couple of weeks ago, but you'll find something that they will, like a snow globe. You know, kids love a snow globe, right? At least my kids do. But they can create the snow globe and then have the snow globe in their room. Right. So they actually make it. So they participate in the toy that they have. So it's not just this static thing that they look at and get sick of. Um, so if you really want to keep the creativity alive with your kids and what they play with, this is a great website. And uh, 
we have a coupon code. So if you plug in Zen, Z-E-N, you'll get 10 bucks off your purchase of $30 or more. So once again, that's seedling.com, S-E-E-D-L-I-N-G.com, coupon code Zen. So I'm going to let you talk about your topic, but I I want to tease my topic one more time. Um, The participation trophies uh, conversation debate triggers me something fierce, and we're going to play a two-minute clip from a coach who thinks participation trophies are the problem with everything. Then just go ahead, because I don't want to go off of that. Really? Well, I mean, we're kind of in that flow. Here we go. So this is a guy named Jeff Walls, and he's at a post-game interview. And sweetie, I'm going to need your help, because I feel like my judgment hat is going to be firmly on my head. Then why don't you take it off? I don't want to. I know. Well, that's the problem. I want to be judged. I want to be, I want to judge. Yeah, you're being judgy judgerson. So they lost in a game. And this is what he said in the post uh, game conference, uh, press conference. And he coaches the women's basketball team at the University of Louisville. We just live right now, the generation of kids that are coming through. Everybody gets a damn trophy. Okay. You finish last, you come home with, with a trophy. You kidding me? I mean, what's that teaching kids? It's okay to lose. And unfortunately, it's our society. It's what we're building for. And it's not just in basketball, it's in life. You know, everybody thinks they should get a job. Everybody thinks they should get a good job. No, that's not the way it works. But unfortunately, that's what we are preparing for. Because you finish fifth, you, you walk home with this nice trophy, parents are all excited. No. I mean, not to be too blunt, but you're a loser. Like, we're losers. We got beat. So you lost. There is no trophy for us. But unfortunately, the way everybody, the way these kids are brought up today, there is a trophy. Because nobody wants anybody to have hard feelings. Nobody wants to get their feelings hurt. Well, unfortunately, in the real world, I'm not sure how it is with your all's jobs. But with mine, if you lose enough, you get fired. And that's just the way it is. And I'm trying to explain to our kids, like, hey, I'm trying to prepare you for the real world. Because when you go to get a job, there's competition. And what are you going to do to stand out? But unfortunately, we're not preparing these kids, before they get to us at least, to be ready for that. You know, when you play three, four AAU games in one day, you lose three of them and then you win the the last one and everybody goes home happy. You're one in three. I mean... You know, the, I know it's a long time ago, but God darn the days we played, you, when you lost, you went home. There was no friendship bracket. You know, let's go on the left side to the friendship game so everybody can play two more games. No, you went home. You went home a loser. And then you worked at it if you wanted to be good. There he is, Jeff Walls. So this, just this individual Facebook got shared 160,000 times. Okay. And I find it interesting what I certainly get triggered by because I happen, first of all, I don't really have a big position on participation trophies. I don't care if you give them or you don't give them, but the fact that this idea is the symptom of why our, why kids are not the same these days, I completely disagree with. I think that this coach is um, not being resourceful. I think that if you want to connect with your, if you want to win ball games, you figure out a way to connect your kids to motivate them. It's, it's easy to blame participation trophies on a loss. And, you know, maybe he was having, you know, sports are emotional. So I don't want to judge this man too much because after you lose a game, you're kind of pissed and you say things that you may not uh, believe in. Maybe he does believe in it, but it's just something that I find interesting how many people talk about participation trophies being such a reason why kids are the way they are. And then I'll say one more thing and then I'll hear your reaction, sweetie. We've been saying, we had a guy named Alfie Cohen on the show a long time ago and he did research on it. And in ancient Greece, the adults were saying kids are not the same these days. Every generation that happens, they say the same thing over and over. And I simply don't believe that to be true. And let's just say for a second that it is true. Are we going to blame the kids? Or are we going to blame the grown-ups? even though I don't think there's any blame? But if we were, 
it's not the kid's fault. It's our fault as mature human beings to guide our kids in the best way we know how. Well, and I think the word I want to take out is fault and our kids different because, of course, they're different because every generation is different because they're living in a different time because they're having different experiences. But the question is, is are the way they is the way that they are wrong? Are they do they need to toughen up and do they need to be better people and do they need to see the world like we do? The whole point of having a society where you have lots of different age groups is that there's lots of different perspective. The thing about being a teenager or being a young adult is that you see possibility. You you actually ask questions like, why does it need to be this way? You actually think to yourself, how could I enjoy this more? How could I appreciate this more? Why can't I feel the good feelings more? Why can't I live? You know, and not only that, but everything is heightened. Like we know from neurobiology that when you're a teenager, a young adult, that your dopamine just, it gets shot out so much more than it does when you're our age. So when they're in love, they are in love. When they are enjoying a sport or some kind of activity, they adore it. They they just – their brain, um, it's like the greatest thing because they actually are in that time when everything can feel good. Now, interestingly enough, because they can feel that heightened, they can also feel depression very heightened. They can feel – unseen. They can feel like nobody gets them because these are the kind of things where they feel like nobody gets them because everybody is saying something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, so, you know, like you're saying, like that generations have always said, you know, kids these days, well, kids are always different. That is their role in our society is to move us along, to help us evolve. So there's truth in that, but that isn't a problem. And the thing about whose fault it is, you know, it's not about casting blame. It's about appreciating it for what it is. It's like, are we supposed to raise children who think like 40-year-olds? I want my kids to help me see things differently. And sometimes that's challenging. And sometimes I would just like them to do it my way. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm not ignorant to that, but there's a truth about the way they see the world and it's much more open. So to his, his point is the trophy thing. Like Todd said, the trophy thing has become not so much now, but he's bringing it back up. I feel like years ago, that was the that was the problem. Mm-hmm. We're giving kids trophies. My kids have been in sports, and yeah, they've come home with trophies before, and never have they been like, I'm the best player on the team. They look at it like a certificate, yeah. and maybe then there's no reason for it. I don't really care about the trophies. Neither do I. But the, the thought that a kid getting a trophy somehow makes them think they have no will that then they they believe they're the best or that they believe they didn't lose the game when they actually did, that's our misconception. And and maybe there are some kids that actually go home and feel good holding that trophy, but maybe it's because they just showed up. Because maybe they've never showed up for a game before. Maybe they've never been part of a team before. And those are pieces we forget. Not everything is about winning. Well, in his language, which I'll challenge, he's like, well, they're losers. <laughs> And he was calling himself out because they lost the game. Yes, he's saying I don't think he's a loser. I don't think the girls who play for University of Louisville basketball team are losers. I think they lost the game. Yeah. But just that language is you're a loser. I just have a a feeling I have people in my life that I know believe in the same language that this man believes in. And because I have a platform and because I have a podcast, I'm going to refute or disagree with what this gentleman is saying. Or expand this conversation. I will expand this conversation. Before we started, I put this thing on our board. We have this big uh, cork board. um, And I put in front of Todd, we are bridge builders. And I I know. Pinned it to the board. And I want to put my judgment hat on and tell everybody why I'm not like this man. And that's and that doesn't get us anywhere. And make him the problem. Right. When he, it's not him. It's all about expanding our perception. He's he's not wrong. They did lose the game. But then the question is, are they losers? And can the only way that they find value in society is by being better than other people? Right. Is and and is every person on his team meant to be a basketball player? Mm. Or could they possibly, through their experience of losing, recognize that there's something else that they may want to be doing? You know, or could they find another way to be motivated besides just wins and losses? For example, you have a we have a friend who's a soccer coach. Yes, and we're we'll have them on the show sometime. They're really good friends of ours. My friend Annie Burnside, uh, you guys probably know her because she wrote Soul to Soul Parenting and From Roll to Soul, and I talk about her all the time because she's such a good friend. Her husband Jim Burnside is the soccer coach in New Trier, which is um, the best team in Illinois high school. High school, and and he for the last three years has won the championship. Now, I say that to you guys because we're sitting here saying, oh, wins and losses, it doesn't matter. 
why they won is a totally different story than what this guy is saying. Right. What what Jim Burnside was able to do, obviously he had talented players. We're, we're not saying, oh, no, this but, was all but him. But there's a lot of talented players in a lot of high schools, and he happened to win right. three championships. He focused on teamwork. He focused on the girls having fun. He focused on friendships. Like, here's a quote from an article I looked up. Um, we've, we've had talks with Jim and Annie about this a ton, um, and, you know, about Jim's philosophy and how it, you know, helped him, propelled him as a coach. And I looked up the article in the Tribune after they won this last season, and it says, his quote is, it's their love of the game and the love of playing this game with their friends, Burnside said. I think that speaks volumes about them. They do it for each other. They just love each other. It's fun to watch, to see people get along, enjoy their company, and then compete together. I haven't seen much like it. It's such an impressive group. We're going to miss them. Well, and he, it starts with the top. Yes. He created this environment. Yes. And I have a feeling that if we had these two men speaking about coaching philosophy, they would disagree quite a bit. That's my guess. They may they may come together on many things, mm-hmm. but that bottom line, at least again with this guy that day in that moment, this is how he felt. Correct. He may say, I'm always working on teamwork. I'm yeah. always working about French on friendships. But there's also this piece of how you react when you lose. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, like what is your and maybe he they do need to have a, a greater understanding of what will means. Yeah. And maybe that's somewhere where he can focus on grit or like how are we going to persevere? Or, you know, I don't feel like my message is getting across. But it's about how do you go from there? Because if we look at the world and say, these are winners, these are losers, then no wonder we're divided. Mm -hmm. Because there's there's room for everybody. Well, and there's a parenting, and I've used this philosophy in my mind, and I've shared it on the show, shared it on the show. I have a lot of mottos or ideas of how I want to parent. And one of them is I want to keep my daughter safe and get out of their way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of parents are out there like, no, you got to manipulate, you got to motivate with the sense of fear. And I don't want to do any of that. I simply want to keep them safe and get out of their way. And then some people, some critics some people that disagree with me might say, but how are they ever going to learn anything if you're just loving them, regardless of whether or not they won the game or lost the game? And my answer is the world will teach them. My job as a parent is to make sure that I love them, I understand them, I compliment them. No, you support them. I support them. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about love, love, love. It's about I'm here. I'm here. You know, like, uh, yeah, you know, you're right. You do love them, but it's like you're just there. Just like we were talking about what Chris Heron said. You are this like buffer that they have, this place they can go, this foundation and this grounding. Yeah. So anyways, that's, I just felt like saying that. So. Well, and, and I think it's a really good conversation and there's no simple answers and there's no way that Todd and I, this guy's not the bad guy because hundreds of thousands of people shared this. So there's obviously a lot of people who think that the generation has problems. And I hear my friends talk about how millennials are the worst and, you know, how they don't know how to work and maybe they see it differently. And we can say they're lazy and you can point to a million examples. I know you can because I've had these conversations. But what about the ones who are who are figuring out new ways? Well, and this generation, these millennials, the younger people these days have an idea of altruism and giving back in a way that uh, they have researched this. And kids are more apt to give back and be altruistic than, kids, than our generation than, than our generation was because we came from parents who came from the depression era yeah. where everything was more about hold on to what you have safety, what's yours security. is yours safety and these kids have grown up in a different environment where it's like let's give back let's give back not only are they giver backers they also are more accepting mm-hmm. they've grown up with families that are different they've grown up with lots of racial diversity lots of different cultures so they don't you know I'm not saying they don't see color I'm saying they see it but it doesn't matter to them and of course, all these things like hatred and, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Being, um, help me, when you're a prejudice. Those oh. things can, of course, be taught. And I'm not saying that no kids feel that way. I'm saying typically yeah. in this generation, they're more accepting. Right. And so how can we learn from that? And can we also understand that this whole thing about jobs, you know, like, you know, in this world, you got to fight and you got to win and you're never going to get a job unless you fight and win. 
this generation needs to understand that the jobs that were available to us are not going to be available to them. So they're going to have to learn and use a totally different skill set, which is entrepreneurship and creativity and thinking out of the box. Interpersonal skills. Interpersonal skills, skills, emotional intelligence, and seeing the world differently. We keep trying to use the same pathways and model, and we keep running into these blocks. We're teaching them the wrong things. Like we, Todd and I had have had a lot of experiences in the last month talking to really innovative, thoughtful people, a lot of it around government issues and politics. And a lot of the people have been saying, and saying this in a loving way, not in a fearful or scared way, but that old model isn't working anymore. We keep going to the government and saying, fix this for me. And even though we still need the federal government and we still need, it would be nice if that could get fixed in whatever way that means. But we have to start creating things on our own too. We have to, instead of looking to other people and saying, make this right for me, in our own communities, in our own families, what can we do to make the change? Instead of pointing the fingers outward and saying, nobody is doing this, what can we do? And that's exactly, that leads perfectly into what I wanted to talk about. We got 15 minutes. Perfect. And I may not even need that long. I wanted to talk about Stephen Covey and the uh, seven habits of highly effective people. We've talked about him a lot on this show because he is one of the first people that one of the first books that changed my life in my 20s. And I think a lot of you would agree. Um, One of the most important parts of the seven habits of highly effective people is understanding our circle of influence. There are two circles that we can talk about. One is this big, grand circle. So picture this really big circle, and that's called our circle of concern. And the circle of concern has things like our health, our kids, work problems, government, the threat of things outside of us, maybe natural disasters, these huge concerns that we have, okay? Those, for the most part, I'm not saying we can't be activists or we can't participate in parenting or anything, but for the most part, we don't have... In, and I'm putting this in quotes, control. Right. They're just things that could happen or might happen or things that are happening around us. Within that big circle is another circle, and that's called our circle of influence. And those are the things we can actually do something about, that we actually have control over. I like to start at the very micro level. This is not, again, I sometimes think when we talk about having control or doing something, all of us picture going to work in a soup kitchen. And where I really say go work in a soup kitchen if you want to do that, it doesn't have to look like that. What can you do when you wake up today to influence your world? Mm. How do you talk to your kids when they walk in the room? What is the first experience your child has when they see you? When you make that first work call, are you annoyed, in a hurry, thinking everybody's against you, or are you listening? Are you you know, empathic, thoughtful about the conversation? When you are with your spouse, are you mindful of about how much you appreciate that person, or are you focusing on everything they didn't do on Sunday? Are you... When you walk out into the world, are you annoyed that people that the, that the streets are busy, or do you look around and say, "Wow, there's a lot of people who are doing great things, yeah. who are all going somewhere and have something to do"? How do you respond in your circle of of influence? Because when you respond a certain way in your circle of influence, that circle of influence grows. It starts to bleed into the circle ripple effects of concern. Yeah. And when you start to do good things, like things, I actually just read something. I think it was a quote by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she, um, it was something about if you're going to lead or like, you know, bring a group of people together or be an activist or make a change, do it in a way that people can get behind it Mm. and feel good about getting behind it. Because, you know, people can go out there and scare the daylights out of people and and make people not like each other and and do all those kind of things. And I'm saying that not just at a higher level, but in our own families, in, you know, smaller communities. And you can find people who will get behind you. But people really want to get behind something that's meaningful. And they want to get behind something that makes them feel good about who they are. So if you are doing that, or if you aren't doing that, consider your impact. Well, and I would say, um, as far as what to do, let's say, okay, I want to do something. Don't, you brought up soup kitchens. There's plenty of people that it brings, it, it, it fills them up. Right. They, they look to, forward to that. And, you know, it's funny. Like I, I was thinking of soup kitchens because it's easy, it's accessible. You can drive 10 minutes and you can go do that. 
Um, but I would also invite you to say, think of what brings you joy, not because it's a burden, like, okay, now I'm going to go right. go to work at the soup kitchen. Instead, think of something that fills you up that can also ripple out. Because I think too many times we're conditioned like it has to be hard or difficult for us to be able to uh, make any difference. And, you know, this podcast is a perfect example. We feel like we're make, helping to make some change by talking about these things. And we love doing it. Well, and that's the big shift is is understanding that making an impact doesn't always look one way. The reason we keep talking about soup kitchens is that became the metaphor or the visual for any kind of community service. You know, when people would talk about give back, you would only think about how to suffer for a day and to go, you know, have a hard time or, or where some people wouldn't call that suffering at all. They would call that heaven, mm-hmm. you know, like giving back. But not everybody. And I always go back to the Howard Thurman quote, which is, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. So again, that's Howard Thurman. You may have heard it before, but it needs to be heard and said every day. Because what makes you come alive is then who you are and who you came here to be. And when you access that, everything goes easier. You're in flow. You're actually inspired. Like last night, Todd and I, okay, it's Sunday, right? Todd took the girls to the Bears game, by the way. Bears. And they won. Won. Crazy. What else is new? Um, Actually, the fact they won is new. Yeah, I thought that was pretty new. Um, But so they come home and the girls, you know, have to do homework and do all that kind of stuff. And Todd and I sit down and we start talking about, okay, what's this thing we're going to do in the fall? And what kind of special are we going to come up with for the conference? And when I'm saying this, I don't mean like poor us, we had to work. We're in heaven. We are in heaven creating these things. At least I am. I'm mm-hmm. speaking for you. You have fun doing it too, right? I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't. And so we, though it makes us come alive. And our girls, Skylar has this funny thing that she says to us where whenever we're having a conversation, especially about work, she's like, you guys literally never stop talking. Yeah. And like if we do stop talking, she'll say, oh my gosh, you actually stopped a conversation. Yeah. We are in flow. And so, and there are some people who'd say like putting on a conference or having a radio show is my nightmare. Yeah. Because that's not what makes you come alive. What makes you come alive is being in your art studio and creating these beautiful portraits. Or what makes you come alive is going out and actually being with children and playing with them and helping them. Or what makes you come alive is being an accountant and working with numbers and helping a company actually balance and understand their financial well-being. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. We need you all. Mm -hmm. And that's your circle of influence. And so instead of spending your day worrying about the circle of concern and going on Facebook and telling everybody that they suck and they don't understand and we're all doomed. I'm not saying that you can't have your fear, but do something productive with it. If you're concerned, because there's things I'm concerned about for sure, do something with your aliveness to make your world and your immediate world a better place. Yeah, I actually, uh, watched something, Martha Beck, Martha Beck, who's a life coach who I adore. Uh, she posted something on Saturday about when you are struggling and you're in that place where you're just in fear, right? You're just going through that like repetitive fear thing. She goes, go take a forest bath. What's a forest bath? Can you visualize what a forest bath is just based just on? sit inside the forest? Go outside. Yeah. Go surround yourself and maybe it snowed here yesterday, so it's colder in Illinois. Sit by the window. What's well, so funny? Because, go ahead. No, go ahead, honey. I love the forest. And this is why I think of Eckhart, because he talked about the forest one time. The forest, when you look at it, there's trees that have fallen down. Yes. There's trees that are sitting up straight. There's leaves. There's animals. Like, But there's a certain sense of chaos if you look at the forest. Like, how did all of this come together in just this way? Like, nobody planted these trees. These trees were, you know, part of evolution, something beyond Mm -hmm. us. And it looks chaotic, yet everything is in order. I think that the forest is such a powerful metaphor for me because our lives sometimes look chaotic. Kids, parents, work. Mm -hmm. And there's a chaos to it all. And if you look at a forest, there's like, there's trees like falling over on top of other trees, but this one happens to be holding that one up and, but everything is at peace. And can we trust that there is a rhythm in chaos? 
because what happens in chaos? I remember a couple of years ago, uh, Glennon Melton said this, and now we know because of Love Warrior that she had found out that her husband had had an affair. We didn't know it at the time. But she was talking a lot about chaos and she was writing a lot about it. And what she said is chaos is like this beautiful sifter, you know, like, you know, when you're sifting or mining for gold, where all the things that don't matter fall away and all the things that are most important rise or come to the surface or get sifted through. Sometimes chaos is so uncomfortable. I don't want it. I don't ask for it. I don't get excited about it. And I'm not one of those spiritual people who says, bring it on. I don't want it. But because life, as the Buddha said, is about suffering, I'm starting to accept that more. I used to get mad about that. But when life is about suffering, not meaning you're always going to suffer, but the only way to know joy or the only way to know sifting through chaos or the only way to know an opposite of pain is to have pain. Then you know what you really want. Then you appreciate it. And it doesn't mean that you have one more than the other. It's all different. But it's that idea of when things get hard or they feel or seem chaotic, what's most important? And then focus your energy there because then that's how it grows. And then things like the forest, the tree does fall over sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that tree wanted to fall over. Trees die. Trees trees grow out of nothing. Yeah. People, you know, we talked about on the show a while ago, you know, after the election when a lot of people were feeling, and they may still be feeling, you know, discomfort. Sometimes you feel like there's just like you know, cement over everything, like, you know, everything is not going to work or it's not working the way I wanted to. But life and hope always grow through. The grass always grows through. And, And again, this is not... You can, even in your own situation, like right now, you may be dealing with a work issue or your kid's having a problem. The more that you can focus on Yes, this is happening. This is the truth. But what are the possibilities here? Rather than it shouldn't be this way, um, I can't believe this is happening to me. Life sucks. You can feel the pain, but then say, "What am I going to do with it?" Yep. That's where we become productive. You know, talk about will and grit. Mm-hmm. That's where will and grit come into play. Yeah. When we have something, when we believe in something, or we believe in. When we begin to know ourselves and understand what's important to us, will and grit kick in without anyone teaching it to yeah, us. There's an allowance of of letting that energy flow through you. Because everyone has it. Yeah. If you tell someone they have to be a certain way, or you say, this is the job you have to do, or you have to do this or else you won't get this or that, there's no will or grit. There's just, they, they it's may- extrinsic, external motivation, yeah. and it doesn't really- it, it, it doesn't last. It may work one day. It doesn't and, last. You know, and you'll say, but it worked there. But it, it's not internal. It's yeah. not a internal drive. It's like Todd said, it's an external motivator. Um, so I guess I just wanted to say um, this last thing, and then I know, Todd, you want to close, is there's this book that I read about um, in brain pickings. I don't know if you guys get this email called brain pickings, but it's this pretty amazing, like, it's like she's this woman who does it. She's a curator of great information. And so every week I get something from Brain Pickings. And this week she talked about a book called Radical Hope Ethics in the Face of Cultural Devastation. And I think it's an older book, I don't think it's brand new. But one thing he talks about with Radical Hope is that what so. First of all, hope. Sometimes when we think about hope, we think that we just sit and wait and 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 pray, and then maybe something good will happen. It's like the secret stuff, right? Right. Or just visualize it, and it'll happen. Hope is action-oriented. And sometimes we don't have all the information. So listen to this. What makes this kind of hope radical is that it is directed toward a future goodness that transcends the current ability to understand what it is. Radical hope anticipates a good for which those who have the hope as yet lack the appropriate concepts with which to understand it. Now, what does that mean? One thing that Joseph Campbell, who's a writer and he was like an expert in theology of all kinds, what he talked about when he talked about death was our brain doesn't even have the capacity to understand death. Thus, there's no way we can really decide what death is going to be or feel like or look like because we don't even have the brain capacity to to recognize what it'll be. Our brains weren't built that way. So it almost lets you just accept whatever it is it is. Radical hope is you don't even know 
what things could change. Possibilities. You don't even know what the possibilities are because they're not laid out yet. And there's things that have come to fruition this year, this decade, this generation that previous de- previous generations thought were an impossibility. Yeah. Who thought that people would be wearing phones on their wrists yeah. and and have all their information in a watch? Like that's Star Trek stuff. That wasn't even something we could think about 10 years ago. Now that's a part of the equation. So our our direction and, and focus and understanding has changed. What's next? And it's not just about technology. Take technology out of it. What are people creating? Who are the emotional leaders that have now risen up? Who are the women that are running for office right now who have like changed that perspective? Who are the children that were just born that are going to be future leaders? Mm-hmm. Who? Where is the the new technology that maybe could create journalism that is fair and fact-checked. We don't even know what's available. So radical hope is believing in what we don't know yet. Yeah, love it. Have you read that book? No. She's, like I said, did you look up Brain Pickings to see what the website... Okay, give them the website. Brainpickings.org. What's her name? I don't know. Because she deserves a shout out. Like I said, she curates some amazing information. Um, And I always find a good book. I didn't even buy it because I think... Our Amazon. Maria Popova. Yes. Um, so anyway, go to her website, get her email. But again, this book, Jonathan Lear is the office, and it's called or, The Office. Did you hear me? Jonathan Lear is the author, and he wrote Radical Hope, Ethics in the Face of Cultural Devastation. Um, don't forget about our conference. I am giving a shout out to one of our sponsors. So if you have a business and you want to sponsor or have a tabletop at the conference, shoot me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com. But this week, we are thanking trinityfamilylaw.com. And what do they do? They provide legal services that empowers people to build healthy new lives, prosper financially, and co-parent children effectively. So thank you to Trinity Family Law for being a partner for our conference. Compassionate um, lawyers who like handle things like divorce. Yeah, correct. And they do it in a way that you know everybody can maybe get along. Absolutely. Uh, we have no Zen friends this week. So that's our scholarship program. So if you find yourself, uh, either if you're coming to conference or you're not coming to the conference, but you want to support us, one way you can do that is by donating to our Zen Friends uh, line item on our registration page. And that will help moms, dads who can't afford to come to the conference to come to the conference. And the Zen Friend is also helping us offer this special for the teenagers and the preteens to come for only $50. Mm -hmm. Because again, tickets, you know, for Todd and I to put this on, you know, there needs to be a certain ticket price so we can pay for everything, but we are creating this opportunity for preteens and teens to get in for $50. So the Zen Friend is helping contribute to that possibility too. Um, a quick shout out. I am hosting a men's retreat January 20th through the 22nd. Uh, we have a few spots left and it's coming together beautifully. So if there's any men out there that want to unplug unwind and recharge with a a group, a handful of other amazing men, Uh, check out the tribemensgroup.com or you can just shoot me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And then uh, also I coach men. So if any men out there are looking to, um, you know, grow or need help or support, uh, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And then last but not least, we have three new iTunes reviews. Thank you to those iTunes reviewers. Um, all five stars. The one is called Eye Opening. The second, they call it Enlightening Podcast. And then the third one says The Best Podcast. Oh, thank you very much. So thanks to all those amazing uh, listeners who are supporting us in any way, whether it's an iTunes review or coming to the conference or sharing our show on Facebook. Or just listening right now. Or just listening yeah. or telling a friend. Who knows? doesn't really matter. Just the fact that you're out there listening is enough. And that, you know, everybody, we're all in this together. We're all in everything together. You're not alone. You know, when you're having your days of struggling with parenting, you're not the only one. And I don't mean that like you shouldn't be struggling. I just mean know that there are other people who have felt the way you do and that this is not, that there's always support and there's always people who understand and that it's not always about such seriousness. Sometimes it's about laughing and about saying, yep, this is the way it is and this is hard and then having a good laugh about it. Um, 
we actually just interviewed someone today. When are they going to be on the show? Friday. And they're going to be on the show Friday. And they're talking about, they, they wrote this great book uh, called Connecting in the Land of Dementia. And it's all about taking care of a parent who has Alzheimer's or dementia. And she and her brother, who are both being interviewed, Deborah is her name, and then Dan, they talk about how they use laughter and creativity to reach their mom. Yeah. And so everything, we, we get so serious. I know. And we get so in fear and we get so tight. And we just got to gotta loosen up, baby. In the words of Sergeant Holkoff from the movie Stripes, lighten up, Francis. That's right. Or in the words of Del Griffith from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, you got to go with the flow like a twig on the shoulder of a mighty stream. When Todd and I first started dating in college, we um, we decided to break up pretty much when I wah, left. Wah. But we would still write each other letters. And he wrote me a letter. Isn't that so funny that we would write each other letters? <laughs> it's so archaic. But he would write me a, he'd write a letter and he would always put P.S. Go with the flow like a, like twig, a twig on, on the, the shoulder, shoulder of, of a mighty, mighty stream. Thank you, Del Griffith. I might even have that here somewhere. I don't know. It's when they're driving in the car because I picked it up this um, this time because mm. it always reminds me of you. No, I, can't, I don't have that one. That's all right. Um... I think that's about it. Let me pull up my little music here. We should write each other more letters. I agree. Even though we live together. Yeah. I'll mail it. I'll put it in the mail. All right. That'd be fun. Yeah. Just set it in the mailbox. I'll get it. Yeah. Then I'll write back. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, and then the last thing, you can subscribe to the podcast by going to our homepage, zenparentingradio.com. There's a box on the right. And any new podcast will get delivered right to your email inbox. Cool. So that's it. See you guys uh, later and keep trucking. Have a good week. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. <laughs> On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FAMZOO logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking.